This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. We're going to the book of Genesis. We're hitting chapter 16 today. And as we begin this, I need to ask you a question. What is the moment in your life that you'd love to go back and have a redo? Some of you are overachievers. There's like a hundred. But, but what one moment stands out more than anything else? Man, if I could just go back in time, ah, I, I wish I could do that over. I messed that up so bad. The, the most humiliating thing you've ever walked through. What if we were to take that and put it on the screens today for everybody to watch? Like the cringe factor. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do. But not with your life, with Abraham's life. As we move into chapter 16, um, this is a moment where Abraham, the father of our faith, an icon in our faith, makes one of the dumbest, most idiotic decisions he could ever make. This is one of those, oh, I'd give anything if I could have it back. In fact, Genesis chapter 16 goes a little bit Jerry Springer. And right now you're in church, you're like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what you're talking about. I never watched that. I have no idea. I mean, there's going to be conflict, fighting, paternity test, whose kids is it, um, who's leaving, who's staying. They might even throw a chair or two. It's Genesis chapter 16, and it gets a little bit crazy as we dive into this passage. But as we do, the beautiful thing about today, the beautiful thing about the Word of God as we look at Abraham and how he screwed up so royally is as we roll through this, We learn from one of Abraham's worst days so that you and I don't repeat it. There's something we can glean here. And and one thing I love about the Word of God is God deals so honestly with the heroes of our faith. The the people that we look up to, the people that we think, man, I, I could never be like Abraham, the father of our faith. God tells us about his good days, but he's not afraid to say, hey, he had some bad days. There there is this authenticity to the Word of God that is special and unique. And through Abraham's failures, as we learn, our faith can grow. Through his mistakes, there are some outtakes. And from the very first part of chapter 16, one of the things we're going to notice is that God changes the world through broken people. God changes the world through messed up people. You may be sitting here this morning and feeling like, My life is too broken. I've blown it in too many areas. And the passage we're going to walk through today is going to help you understand if that's you, you have the exact same resume as Abraham. And God has the ability and the desire to bless you and bless other people through you. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, remember Abram and Abraham are the same guy. God's going to change his name later had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. What? Perhaps I can build a family through her. (laughs) Shouldn't this have been left out of the Bible? I mean, honestly, isn't this one of those things like if I'm God and I'm writing all this down, I don't put this in there. Like this is a bad moment. Sarah, 
Stupid idea. You want us to respect this guy, Abram, and, and call him the father of our faith, but you're going to shed light on this disaster? You're going to pull back the curtain and let us step into a private conversation between a husband and a wife as they scheme together and come up with a stupid decision that is going to have an impact for thousands of years. It's interesting to me. One of the things you begin to quickly learn in Scripture is how two people without consulting God or anybody else, can make really stupid decisions. Have you ever noticed how you and a close friend or you and your spouse can convince yourself of something really dumb that you think is going to be great? The business venture, if we just do this, it's going to make so much. No, it's not. You went broke because you didn't consult anybody else. But, but they're going to scheme and come up with this. But God, why, wouldn't, why, why would God say, hey, 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 that day, that stupid decision, print it. That's good Bible. Why would he do that? I think simply because he wants us to know the kind of people he loves and uses. Because he's going to always love and he's going to choose to use Abram. Verse 1, Sarah, Abram's wife. Abram, it, it literally, the name means exalted father. So think about this. Today's language, great dad. My man Abram is about... 85 years old now. It's been 10 years since God made the promise that you're going to be the father of a nation. He walks around with greatest father ever coffee cup all day long, but no kids. His name almost taunts him and pokes at the area of greatest pain in his life. Sarah wants the kids God has promised. Abram wants to be leading what he's supposed to be leading. He's, he's made for this. He's wired for this. He has all the ingredients to lead, but there's nothing to lead yet. He's not living up to his title. He's not fulfilling his destiny. He's got to be thinking what maybe you've thought and what I know at times I've thought. There has got to be more to life than this. Some of you, where you are in life, you look at your relationships, you look at your finances, you look at your career, you look at where you are, and it just it feels less than. Five years ago, ten years ago, this is what you're living today is not the script you would have written for you. And so sometimes you pride that there's got to be more. There's no way this is all there is to life. This moment, this moment is for every man who feels like he's been living less than what he's meant to live. I feel like my destiny, my purpose in life is, is greater than what I'm living. I, I, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I, I just feel like I, I was made for something greater. And this chapter is for every woman who feels that because she can't or she hasn't accomplished something, she feels she must, she feels less than. Because in that culture, I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm just telling you what the culture was. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not excusing it. I'm just telling you in that culture, in that day, a woman's value was simply her kids. You only had value if you had at least one child. And so this passage is for every woman that feels like you're missing out on the value and the purpose that you're supposed to be living in life. Your self-worth and your respect are missing because you're missing something you feel like you should have. And this passage, it's for every single person who's ever felt there just has to be more. And what happens when we feel like there's got to be more? Sarah and Abram come to a place 
where plan A hasn't worked. Plan A, the best option, the best plan, is always God's plan. But it's not working. It's been 10 years. I mean, we don't want to wait five minutes, much less 10 years. So what do we do when plan A doesn't work? We come up with plan B. And if needed, plan C. And if we have to, plan D. And we will go as far as we need to go and have all of the contingency plans because at some point, if God's not doing what he's supposed to do, i got to help him out. i got to make some things happen. Sometimes, plan B is driven by guilt. My husband has this audacious promise that he's going to be the father of a nation, and through that nation, the savior of the world is going to be born, and it hasn't happened yet. I must be the problem. Something's wrong with me. Sometimes we make plan B decisions because we feel guilty that plan B isn't working because of me. It's got to be me. So let's go with plan B. She, she can have the child. She can be a surrogate. This Hagar, their, their servant, technical language, a slave. She can be the surrogate, but I'll raise the child as my own. God hasn't come through. I'm questioning. I'm hurting. And so I'm tired of waiting. So I'm going to just come up with plan B. I'm going to do it my way. The thing about plan B, a lot of people, listen, plan B, what seems amazing to you seems insane to most of us. A lot of people's plan B, you look at it like you have friends and you're thinking, here they go again. What are they doing? How do they keep making such dumb decisions? This text is also for you. If you've ever felt like, an, and I'm an expert at this, if you've ever felt like you need to help God out, do you ever feel that? Like there's sometimes in traffic, I think, man, if I was God, I'd kill those people. Like, get out of my way. I'm just being honest. I have a short temper. It's something me and Jesus talk about often. And, and I'm working through it. But aren't there times when you feel like, I just need to help God out? Like, Jesus, I know you love Jerry Jones. I don't know if he loves you, but if you could take him on to heaven or send him wherever he's going, let somebody else be the owner, maybe we'd have a shot. Like, there are things that in life, and even on a more serious nature, we feel like, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. If I were God, I would do it differently. Why are you allowing this? Why are you tolerating this? How come you're not doing something? I need to, I need to help God out. It's been 10 years, and God hasn't come through. It's been 10 years of holding on to what God said since he's been silent. I, I'm holding on to the word of God, but I don't see the work of God. I'm trying to trust, but there's no evidence that I should trust. Have you ever been there? It's their story. But it's certainly at times my story. And maybe it's your story. I trusted God, but it's only gotten worse. See, having a child at 75, maybe you can pull that off. I don't know that you want to, but maybe you can. But at 85, 10 years later, it's only gotten worse. God made a promise, but it doesn't feel like we're on the highway to that promise. It's, it's actually gotten worse. So Sarah comes up with plan B. Hey. This lady over here, my maidservant, I want you to go have sex with her and have a kid. And Okay, what is the father of our faith? This icon, Abram, what, what's his response going to be? This man that's so godly. Verse 2, Abram agreed. <laughs> okay, if you really want me to. I mean, 
This is your idea. I had other plans today, but I'll rearrange my sketch. I mean, like, what we know is Hagar is about 30 years younger. Apparently, she was beautiful. She's from Egypt. She has a, a beautiful skin. She's a beautiful person. And Abram's like, all right, I'll, I'll suffer through this. Okay, whatever you want. He agrees. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. What an incredibly stupid and short-sighted decision how, how dumb can they be about as dumb as you and me so often we make decisions we come up with plan b with what's going to feel good in the moment with what's going to feel right in the moment and we think we're going to accelerate a path to success and all you do is hurry up to exploding your life what feels right and feels good and seems good in the moment. my man abram is not thinking about two months from now He's not thinking about five years from now and what's going to unfold. All he's thinking about is in the moment, you, you, you want me to have sex with another attractive woman? That you, all right, if you, really, if you really want me to, I'll do that. And they make a very dumb decision. And notice the context in relationships. A lot of our relationships get blown up because we make plan B decisions in something so precious. God says, here's how you do relationships, here's how you do dating, here's how you do marriage, here's how you do friendship, here's how you treat people you don't know, here's how you handle acquaintances, and when we feel like that's not working, we're just going to do it a little bit different way, and we blow up our relationships, but this is Abraham, and you thought God couldn't use you, you thought you'd messed up too bad, you've sinned too big. You've blown up your relationships. If that's the case, you have the same resume as Abraham. God can use you, and God wants to use you. God does love you, and he does want to bless you. But there's a path to that. Have you ever thought about the fact that every blessing God offers in his word, every scripture where God says, if you do this, I will bless you, and this is my plan for you, all the way back, old school, Old Testament, Jeremiah, where God says, I have a plan for your future for hope and a dream, to prosper you. All, all the promises in the Word of God. Have you ever thought about the fact every promise God ever made you was before you screwed up the first time while He knew you would? Your screw-ups, your mess-ups, the areas that you and I blow up our lives, do not discount the promises of God if we turn to Him. It's fascinating to me. He promises to bless us anyway. You thought God would only bless people that kill giants with slingshots. You thought God would only bless people that go into fiery furnaces and come out without even the smell of smoke on them. You thought God would only bless people that would lay down and take a nap beside hungry lions and not be eaten. You thought God only blessed faithful people. But you forgot. All faithful people live through some faithless days. God loves you and doesn't love you any less. In fact, every single person that God uses, every single person that God blesses in all of the Bible, blew it in significant ways. There are no perfect people except Jesus. What this means, this encourages me, because if God is going to love and bless a knucklehead like Abraham, there's hope for me. If God's going to love and bless Abraham, there's hope for you. Verse 4, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. I you this was like you thought about the she's hot okay you didn't think about this 
When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Sarah's idea, it's your fault, man. Because it's always the man's fault. Men, all you do when she says it, yes, ma'am. That's all you do. If you want to live happy, you accept the responsibility because the truth is, he is responsible. This is the guy who's the father of our faith. This is the guy who's a spiritual icon. This is the guy that three world religions point back to as the, the founder of their belief system. This is the guy. When she said, hey, go sleep with her, he could have said, hey, Sarah, I love you, but listen, we need to keep trusting God. I love you, but I'm not going to do that. I, I, I love you, but listen, we, we need to hold on, have faith. I know it's tough right now. One of the greatest benefits you bring in a dating relationship, a friendship, or a marriage is the ability to be strong in your faith when the other person's weak and the ability for them to be strong in their faith when you're weak. It is very, very difficult and very challenging, and you will explode your life in multiple ways if both of you function in weakness and pull the trigger on plan B all the time. Somebody's got to be strong when somebody's weak. He had the opportunity to make a faith-filled decision, but instead, he was a coward. But the problem didn't start here. Problems rarely begin where it looks like they begin. Problems usually begin earlier. And it happened in Genesis chapter 12. We covered this a few weeks ago. The problem, this problem, didn't begin here. The problem did not begin in a conversation in a tent with a wife that said, have sex with somebody else and have a kid and I'll raise it as my own. That, that's not where the problem began. The problem began in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 16. He, speaking of Pharaoh, remember there was a famine and so Abram decided without consulting God, we're going to go to Egypt. He, he let fear control him instead of faith. He goes to a place God never told him to go and as they're about to cross the border, he recognizes because Sarah's beautiful, Pharaoh is going to take me out if he knows I'm your husband. So we're going to say that I'm your brother, you're my sister. And they pull that off and, and, and Pharaoh takes in Sarah to be in his concubine, one of his wives. And notice Genesis chapter 12, verse 16. He, Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake, Sarah's sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. Four chapters later, an Egyptian servant acquired in Egypt will now become part of a bigger problem. Your sin of four chapters ago may have seemed like no big deal and you got away with something and no harm, no foul, and it, it all worked out. The, the lie of four chapters ago is what creates the devastation of this moment. The thing that you thought was no big deal and you diminished in your mind and you acted like you're past it is the very thing that's going to bite you. When we do what God did not tell us to do, when we go where God did not tell us to go, when we lie because of selfishness and we let fear speak louder than faith, it will always cost us more than we see in the moment. Every single time. This is a terrible piece of history that I, I'm sure Abraham would have loved to have forgotten. This is that moment, God, please don't write that in the Bible for everybody to read. And God says, no, I'm going to write it so other people don't relive it. 
You have the unique ability, as do I, to learn from the pages of Scripture and not repeat the mistakes that other people have made. We are in the unique position of being able to read the history of mankind in relationship with God and see what happens every single time we disobey God. And you and I can save ourselves a whole lot of pain if we learn from other people's mistakes. Now, you have every right to make the mistake for yourself. But when you do, your pain will increase every single time. And what we achieve in mistakes do not provide solutions. They increase our problem, and they increase our pain. There's a basic lesson here that's obvious. I don't think I have to say it, but I'm going to say it. The the basic obvious lesson, there are many lessons. The obvious lesson, more than one wife is a bad idea. Every day, more than one wife is a bad idea. Sometimes people say, oh, God must endorse polygamy because in the Old Testament, they had a lot of wives. You never find God endorsing it. You find God stepping into the reality of it because it's what culture was like, but the overarching message of Scripture, because remember, Old Testament and New Testament, fully inspired by God, written by God, Old Testament just as valuable as New Testament, New Testament just as valuable as Old Testament, God says one man, one woman for one lifetime. Like more than one wife, bad idea. That means, sir, if you're married, the little honey at the office that you want to act like she's a wife? You're making a stupid decision in the moment, and you're not thinking about five months, five years from now. Do you think that someone that doesn't respect your marriage to someone else will respect your marriage to them? You're being foolish, and you're building a fire that's going to burn you. Faithfulness and obedience, God's best for our lives. Yeah, but I thought, I thought I was supposed to be fulfilled in marriage, and I thought God was supposed to bless me, and I thought our relationship was going to be different. And, and I thought, hey, you picked her. And by the way, you're not all that in a basket of cookies either. You're not perfect. Do you, you thought marriage was going to be evil? Stop watching movies. You thought marriage was going to be easy? Oh, we're just, we're just in love. When two imperfect messed up, I almost said a word I shouldn't, messed up people (laughs) jump into a marriage. You you think with two people being imperfect, two people being selfish and broken, you think that's a recipe for harmony? You're going to have to work at it. And, And the problem is when you leave this one to go with that one, and then you leave this one to go with that one, you're the common denominator in all the failure. Because you show up in every mistake you've ever made. We shortchange the power of obedience to a God who is faithful and who lays out exactly how we're supposed to live. And Hagar changes her thinking. She starts to think, I'm the one that's going to be a mother of a nation. I'm the one that's with child. All this land should be mine. I should be wife number one. I'm having the baby. And can you imagine the conflict? Because Hagar is Sarah's servant. When Sarah says, I need you to go get the water, and Hagar says, ah, I would, but I'm not feeling good. I had a really rough night because, you know, Abraham, I'm, I'm pregnant with our child. And because of that, I didn't sleep well. In fact, there's a lot of tension. Abraham, could you rub my shoulders? Could you just help me out for me? <laughs> the tension, the anger. Sarah's plan was successful. Hagar got pregnant. Her her plan worked. But Sarah's success in her plan is her greatest failure. When you and I are successful in plan B, 
it's often our greatest failure. So what about you? What is the priority, the greater priority for you? Honoring God or chasing your dreams? Being obedient to God or, being, or making it happen? Waiting on God or accelerating the process? When honoring God is your goal, you will allow Him to bring your success. When success is your goal, you will choose any plan necessary to achieve what you want. And when we get in that rhythm and that pattern in life, and when we step into that kind of thinking, we don't think about consequences. We don't think about six months from now, six years from now. We think about in the moment what feels good, and I've got to be successful in this. But be careful, because your greatest success can become your greatest failure. Anytime God's not in it, that's exactly what's going to happen. And she achieves her goal, but she doesn't fix her problem. Because goals achieved without God don't fulfill purpose. Goals achieved without God don't provide ultimate happiness. We think plan B is valid because we'll achieve some level of success that'll make life better. Have you ever noticed successful people don't live better lives just because of their success? Have you ever noticed this? Think about the entertainers that you keep up with, the musicians, the artists, the athletes, the famous people, people who have a lot of what we would call success and maybe a lot of money. And most of them have relationships that are train wrecks. Most of them, their lives are so screwed up. Most of them have to drink away or take pills away, do something to numb life because all of the success and all of the money and all of the fame has not helped them achieve what they were chasing. We have this idea that if you can just be successful, you will be happy. And so we chase success more than we chase Jesus, and we often achieve success in some measure to realize it's only failure because it didn't provide what we were chasing. She got exactly what she wanted, to then not want it. And Sarah says, Abraham, it's your fault. My idea, but your fault. And it was because he didn't dismiss plan B. He went along. He was a coward. Man, if I could just say to you, one of the greatest things our world needs, one of the greatest things our nation needs, one of the greatest things our communities need, and one of the greatest things our home need is for men to stop being passive cowards agreeing with everything we're told. At some point, the little boy has to sit down and the man has to stand up. At some point, you've got to be willing to grow a spine and understand God's definition of a man and what that is and what that looks like and being willing to live that. And sometimes that means awkward conversations with the people you love. You're supposed to lead something and it begins with your family. And you're supposed to do it in a loving way, not a domineering way. And the greatest way you lead is to follow the example of Jesus and that is to serve. And you will earn credibility in your words when you live a life of serving the people you say you love. At some point, you keep your mouth shut because you're afraid of her. And you should be. She can go Lorena Bobbitt on your hind parts in a half a second. You should be. I don't know where that came from. I didn't use that last hour. That's just for y'all. And if you don't know what that is, don't Google it, please. Dear God. <laughs> but, but listen. You will fear her when you don't serve her. But women are built to respond. Men are commanded to love women. Women are never commanded to love their husband. 
because women are built to respond to the love a man offers. But when you don't love and you function in a selfish way, you should be afraid of her. Remember, this is the guy that said, just tell him you're my sister. Like he bought this. Sarah's watching her plan succeed and her family be destroyed. And then, verse 5, she brings God into it. Verses 1 through 4, I don't need God, I've got the plan. Verse 5, when it's a mess, hey God, verse 5, may the Lord judge between you and me. She brings God in now. Prior to this, she does what she wants, but, but now when there's a problem, once I've made a mess, once that's created, I, I need to bring God in. I, I don't seek God in my relationships when things are going well, it's only when I've made a mess. I don't seek God in my finances when things are going well. It's only when they're in a mess. I don't treat my body like the temple of the Holy Spirit of God when my health is good. But I will pray day and night when the doctor gives me a bad diagnosis. I wonder how many problems would evaporate if we invited God into the planning instead of waiting until the problem. Oh God, there's a crisis. And I might have created it. And we expect God to be this genie that pops in and fixes up all the messes we make. The problem with that is a spiritual law of consequences. God will allow you to pick plan B, and God will allow that to blow up in your face, and God will come into plan B and can do more than plan B, more with plan B than you and I ever could, but God will not remove consequences. He's not going to take the baby away. And this is where we can learn, and this is where we can grow. How would the story have changed if Sarah invited God in in verse 1 as she was scheming and planning instead of waiting until she'd made a mess of her life. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs has been called the book of wisdom. Proverbs 19.3 says, A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Today's language, here's what it means. A person follows their own plan to failure, then they blame God. (laughs) You didn't involve God in your finances before, and now that it's a mess, you want him to pop in? You didn't factor God into your marriage before or your dating relationships, and now that it's a mess, you want him to pop in? You didn't invite God into the process when you were trying to decide this career or that career, this job or that guy. You you didn't invite God in, and now that it's a problem, you want him to pop in and just fix it all? Verse 6, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, you think? Sometimes we pick things that feel good in the moment but bring great pain later. When you make a decision, wise people don't just think about the moment. They think about the moments that come after the moment. They don't think about the day. They think about the days. Be careful what you decide because you will live the consequences of your choices. If you decide to go down this road and it feels good in this moment and it's smooth, but it's going to get bumpy later and you kind of know it and you put that out of your mind and you pick this road anyway, you're going to get jolted. When we live in a way that doesn't honor God, when we live our plan Bs, we always put ourselves into complicated and difficult situations. You think life is complicated now. You can make it more complicated. Now there's a kid involved and that kid's going to need a father. What does Abraham do? It it doesn't feel like there's a good option at this point. Sarah, his first wife, hates Hagar. Hagar hates Sarah. Sarah is hurt 
And every time she sees Hagar, it's a reminder of the pain of he slept with her and they have a kid together. They have something I don't have. And Hagar feels like I should have more than I have. I had your kid. Listen, we have an ability. You think it's bad now? Keep choosing plan B. No matter what your circumstances are today, you have the unique ability to make it worse. I promise you it can get worse. And it can become more complicated and more difficult. But then the next verse, the next verse, the next verse. The angel of the Lord, not an angel, the angel. That's very important. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah. These two questions are profound. Where have you come from and where are you going? If you miss this, you don't miss the story, you miss your story. Notice the text. The angel of the Lord. If he'd said an angel of the Lord, that's a created being. That's a celestial being. But every single time in the Old Testament we read the angel of the Lord, it's speaking of Jesus before Bethlehem. Jesus comes and has an encounter with Hagar. This is Jesus. He shows up and notice how he starts the conversation. Hagar, slave of Sarah. In the middle of her brokenness, here's what he says. I know your name. I know everything you're feeling. I know what you're walking through. I know what's happened has been incredibly unfair. You had no choice. I know all the details. They may call you a slave, but I call you by your name. I know who you are. Because you see, throughout the pages of the Bible, God has this habit of showing up in brokenness. He's not afraid of our messes because there's never been a mess so big that he couldn't heal, provide, direct, and protect. He's not afraid of our messes. She was a slave in Egypt. She was Egyptian, but a slave in Egypt. She was traded from person to person. Now she's a slave of different people from a different nation. She's serving another group, and she's decided because of the conflict, she's going to run and go back to Egypt in poverty at a time when you, if you had a baby with someone of a different ethnicity, you're dead. Nobody will hire you. Nobody will feed you. You can't purchase anything. In that culture, there was a unique kind of evil that has been brought into our culture in various ways that, that you're dead. It, it, it's a hopeless situation. And God says, I know you. I know everything you've done. And I know it's scary, but I've got two questions. Where have you come from? And where are you going? Hagar, pause. Look at your life and look at where you're headed. Think about this. Your plans aren't working, and they're not going to work. Pause. Because sometimes when plan A doesn't work, and we pick plan B, we pick plan B because we want to get there faster. And sometimes we hurry and speed up our own devastation because we don't take time to pause and consult God. Four verses developing a plan, God is never consulted. Once there's a mess, we invite God in. 
He's saying, look, look where you've gotten yourself. Oh, you're, you're not responsible for what happened to you. What happened to you was evil. What happened to you was wrong. You, you couldn't control it. You were a slave. You had to go along with it. You're not responsible for what happened to you, but please hear me. You are always responsible for how you react to what happens to you. Every single time. You can choose how you... You can't choose what happens to you. None of you in this room chose the family you'd be born to. None of you in this room chose your IQ. None of you in this room chose the gifts that you would have. And isn't it interesting? We spend much of our lives trying to be somebody we were never created to be. We look at what other people have, and we think we need to look like them, have the talents they have, be able to do what they have, make the money they have, live in the size house they have. We, we spend our lives chasing somebody we were never meant to be because we don't know what it is to pause and seek God and say, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? You have allowed other people to define what success looks like, so you step on the treadmill of life, and you chase it as hard as you can, and someone else decided success for you. And you're trying to become somebody you were never intended to be, and you're not going to be able to pull it off because you don't have that gift or that calling. The world does not need a bunch of people that imitate other people. There is only one uniquely authentic you. And what the world needs is for you to be you and for you to find the value in how God created you and the talents he's given you. And you will be not successful, but more than that, you will be the most significant in your life if you discover what it is to be you and how God's called you to be you and fulfill that purpose. Look where you've gotten yourself. It doesn't work, and it's not going to work. And verse 8, verse 8. Oh, my gosh, verse 8. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord, Jesus, told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. One of the things that's crazy to me about God like, <laughs> let's be honest, aren't, aren't there things about God that are kind of crazy to you? Kind of, kind of just, like, if I was God, I wouldn't do it like that. But th there's some things about God that are crazy to me. And, and one of the things to me that is crazy about God is that God will let you run. He will let you try different things. He will let you chase whatever you want to chase. He will let you dive into another relationship, another job, another city, another plan. God, God will let you run in circles as long as you want. Here's the problem with running. The problem with running is whenever you stop, you're there. You're there. You take you with you. You can't outrun you. And so the thinking patterns that you've developed that are unhealthy, the, the lack of faith in God and the feeding of fear that causes you to act the way you act, the lack of patience with God, and the lack of waiting on God, because trusting God involves trusting His will and His timing. Often it causes us to run, and all you're doing is you're running faster to your destruction and the destruction of the people you love the most. Every time you create pain for you, you create pain for the people you love the most, and every time when you run, when you stop running, you're there. And the issue is, you're not happy with you. You've not learned to be content with you. You've not discovered who God's called you to be. You've not paused long enough for God to say, hey, 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 where have you come from? And where are you going? Think about this. Because you and I only get one shot to do this thing called life. But God will let you 
run. And God will let you make more of a mess of your life. But he says to her, stop running. Your plan won't work. And this, this is baffling to me. Profound if you think about it, but baffling. He says, go back to your mess and just be obedient. I don't know about you, but I don't like messes, especially the ones that I make. And I'm much more comfortable running from them and trying to put them behind me in my past. The problem is, every time you make a mess in your life, it lives in your heart bigger than it lives in your life. Go back to your mess and be obedient. Because there will be greater freedom and purpose in your life going back into the mess, living obedient, than running from it, trying to get away from it. The prison is not in your mess. The prison is when you're trying to escape you because you can't. Go back to your mess. Some of you, the marriage that you think is irreparably broken, God would say, go back to your mess and be obedient. The job that you hate, I read this week, almost 80% of people say they absolutely hate their job. Go back to your mess and be obedient and wait on God's timing and allow God to elevate you and allow God to open doors and stop kicking in doors because you're tired of waiting. God has a purpose and maybe there's somebody where you work that needs to know what it is to know somebody that loves Jesus and looks like Jesus and you're going to change somebody's eternity because you're faithful at a job that you don't prefer but you're willing to be in your mess and be obedient. You find greater significant obeying God in a mess than you'll ever find trying to work your way out of a mess. The angel of the Lord said to her, you're now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. Ishmael literally means the Lord hears. He will be, <laughs> I don't understand this next, I don't understand if you understand it like you can preach next week, that's awesome. I don't understand it. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Awesome. Great. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Awesome. This is going to be your son. What happened is he went to class in third grade and they were in reading class and somebody read the story about how he was the daughter of a slave and somebody said, hey man, your mom's a hoe. She, she came along second and poof, fights on. And from then on, he's fighting every day of his life because he gets called every name in the book. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it happened, but God's just saying, hey, there's going to be conflict. What's fascinating to me about this is somebody chose plan B instead of waiting on plan A and decided they'd hurry up and help God out. And what they decided in a moment, conflict has now lasted for thousands of years. It is on the front page of the news every day today because somebody picked plan B. And God says there's going to be conflict. But something else that's interesting, I don't want you to miss this because I, I, I think there's a reason for it. This is the very first time in the Bible that God gives somebody a name before they're born. He'll do it in the New Testament with John and Jesus. He'll tell the parents what to name their kids. This is the first time, first time in all the Bible, before he's born, God says, here's his name. The child of a slave. Somebody that culture would say is insignificant. And that name means the Lord hears. So if you're in the middle of brokenness, if you've reacted with an attitude that is not healthy and you can't help what's happened to you, but you've not responded well, God hears. And God knows the pain that drove you to stupid, but he's willing to help you out of that. 
He's there and he's aware. She gave this name to the Lord. He spoke to her in verse 13. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I've seen now the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Beer in Laaroi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. There's something else interesting. This is the only place in all the Bible that a person gives God a name. There are times God reveals his name, Jehovah Jireh. There are times God reveals his name and gives us the explanation for it. This is the only time that a person gives God a name and God says, write it down, put it in the Bible. Only time. It means, I know you are God who sees all. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a lot of conflict here, and it seems very complicated. I thought God could fix everything. No. He's not going to take the baby away. Like when you step into plan B and you start down that road, you're in plan B now. So here's the beauty of plan B. God can do with plan B what you never could. It's not a hopeless situation, but you are going to have to walk through the consequences of your choices but God will be with you every single moment. But he also says, learn from that, and you can't go back in time. Even God understands that. So from this moment on, please, 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 for yourself and the people you love the most, choose plan A. Please, from this moment on, choose trusting God. Please, from this day forward, choose waiting on God. Please don't divide plan B's in your life because every time it's going to hurt you. And when it does, God will be there to walk with you through the consequences, but you're still going to have to live the consequences. Verse 15. Oh, oh, by the way, before 15, Hagar goes back and she does exactly what God says. She submits to Sarah. And from that moment on, you never read of a word of conflict between Sarah and Hagar. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she'd born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. What does that mean for me? A couple very fast things. First of all, not just in this story, but in your story and mine. Jesus is always the hero. Abraham's not the hero. He was a coward. Sarah's not the hero. She got impatient, didn't want to wait on God anymore. Hagar's not the hero. She had a, a, a bad attitude, and she was selfish. Jesus is always the hero. The only way your story will ever make sense is when you invite and keep Jesus in the picture. He can always do more. You're not less than if you're living in some plan B areas of life. Jesus can always do more with that than you ever could. But for the rest of your life, pick plan A. Practically, God cannot bless your finances if you've not invited him into your finances. God cannot bless your marriage if you've not invited him into your marriage. God God cannot bless your dating relationships and give you the wisdom to know who to select to spend the rest of your life with if you've not invited him into your dating relationships. God will not intrude. He has to be invited. God cannot bless your career if he's not in your career. And so choose plan A. Invite God into those because Jesus is always the hero. Another thing that's fascinating, very quickly, our lack of prayer. Like verse 1 through 4, Sarah doesn't pray. Verse 5, God help. Our lack of prayer reveals our heart and our thoughts. We don't pray when we don't think we need God. This this may not mean much to you, but it hit me really hard this week as I was studying and I was preparing. I started thinking, we use this phrase when someone's going through something difficult, God's got this. And we think it's so encouraging. We're, we're sprinkling a little spiritual foo-foo juice on it. God's got this. Well, doesn't God got this when it's good too? Why do we wait for bad to recognize God's got this? 
And what if we started praying when it's good and we didn't wait until it got bad to start praying? And what if we started seeking God when things are good? Your career is going well. Your marriage is good. Your dating relationships are good. Your life is good. Your finances are good. Hey, that's when you pray, God, help me. Help me continue to follow plan A. Help me to continue to trust you. I know there are going to be some stormy days coming. Prepare my heart for it now. Give me wisdom as I walk through it. Why do we wait for crisis for God's got this? If your life is going well, God's got this. And it's going well because of him, not because of you. We, we don't need to wait until crisis to pray. Because when we wait, we're trusting ourselves. And when you do that, plan B's right around the corner. And you're going to screw it up. Because you're an expert at that, and so am I. Last thing, very, very quickly. God doesn't need your help. He needs your obedience. God just needs your obedience. He told her, go, go back to your mess and just be obedient. Because waiting on God is what turns belief into faith. Some of you, your faith hasn't grown because you keep, you, you keep looking for the escape route. You keep bailing on God in the process. It's waiting on God, trusting God in spite of what life is screaming at you. It's waiting on God that turns belief into faith, and your faith grows, and your faith is solidified. In fact, your faith was born, and it exists for the moments of waiting. Faith is not as profound on the good days it is as, as it is in the bad days. But if you don't learn to rely on your faith in the good days or even while you're waiting, you'll never experience it in the bad days. So how do you wait? If God says, I'm going to give you a son, wait on his timing. And every time you do, God will bless. Every single time. He's never failed at it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how much you love us, how patient you are with us. Thank you for how faithful you are to us when we are faithless. I pray for those in this room that are Christ followers, Father, that as we walk through this week, we would trust you. We would do our best to live plan A, your purpose, and wait on your timing. In the areas where we've already pulled the trigger on plan B and we're already living that, God, I pray that we would trust you in those. We would invite you into those. It's never too late to turn to you and that you would create something beautiful out of the messes we've made. And that, Father, we would look for every opportunity. We, we would seize every opportunity to be obedient to your word and to develop a culture and a pattern and a habit in our lives of obedience to you. And, Father, I thank you in advance for the way you're going to bless because of that. Or with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know the greatest need in your life is to invite Jesus into your life. You have no hope of living a significant life without knowing Jesus, the one who offers to forgive you of your sin, to send his spirit to live inside you, to give you a home in heaven after this life, the one who's offered so many blessings in the word of God. Listen, you get to do this thing called life one time. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. You're not here by accident. I, I can't think of a better day than today, and I can't think of one reason not to give your life to Jesus and experience all that God offers. So if that's you, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. I'll lead you in the prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart, because the Bible says in the book of Matthew, Jesus knows even our thoughts. So if you'd like to invite Jesus to come into your life and receive him as your Lord and your God and all that he offers, just pray this prayer. Dear God, 
I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. Father, as best I know how, I give you my life. I pray that this prayer would cover not just this moment, but the rest of my life because I put you in charge and I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 9.30 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.